And welcome back to Game Talk. I'm your host, Amon Mion. Today I'm joined by Connor. Hey, guys. And Mike. Hello. And uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about was something that happened, I think, yesterday morning. Uh, Nintendo said that they had, or specifically the Pokemon company, said that they had a big announcement. Uh, and when the time came and the announcement came, it was a mobile MOBA game called Pokemon Unite. And uh, as of right now, I think it's the most disliked YouTube video Nintendo has ever put out uh, in terms of like to dislike ratio. And I can't say that I, you know, I, I'm not really surprised, honestly. I feel like if they were hyping up a Pokemon announcement, there was only like a couple things which that could have been to please people. Uh, but certainly Pokemon MOBA, especially one that's uh, developed partnering up with Tencent, that's really certainly not something I think people want. Tencent is the, the problem there for me, I guess. But like, yeah. overall, I don't get why anybody cares like i think the expectations were for the diamond and pearl remakes yeah i think that's what was expected yeah i missed the hype i didn't see them building up to it i totally missed that somehow yeah they announced it like a few days before it was like a major announcement so i i don't i don't know like i feel like when companies do pr like this like marketing like this they have to they have to be aware of what they're doing you know like they don't seem to be yeah well, I mean, we're talking about the Pokemon company here. There's uh, That's true. Yeah. all sorts of things they have problems with. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm not really too much of a MOBA guy. You know, I've played League on and off, but I know, Mike, you've played lots of Dota, and you're sort of more intimate with mobile uh, MOBAs overall. Did you get anything from that trailer? Or did I didn't look- even watch the trailer. Ah, okay. Because Pokemon MOBA, hold on. <laughs> Scroll through yeah. it now. <laughs> I mean, I, I watched it, and, like, it didn't really look that good to me. I mean, I can oh, it's sort mobile. of... I don't like that. Yeah, I can recognize I what's going in, on in a MOBA, right? Because I've played a fair amount of League, but, like, everything I saw in that trailer just kind of looked, I guess, cheap and and not really too... Like, it didn't look anything beyond, like, a surface-level cash-in to me. Yeah, it, looks, it doesn't look like a proper MOBA... Looking at this, it's like it's a mobile MOBA, so there can't be that much like complex movement tech. I'm literally watching this little fight scene, and they're just standing in one place and shooting abilities. Yeah, <laughs> like, and it, it's 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 all it's for mobile, right? But it's also yeah. coming out on Switch, I believe. Is that true? Can we confirm that? I have no idea. It yeah, I like I haven't watched the trailer mobile. either. But yeah, I mean, like, it was at the point where, like, I mean, I watched it live, right? And, like, you know, they were like, okay, please enjoy this new announcement we have. And then it was, I was looking at a MOBA, and then, like, Tencent, the guy from Tencent came on. And then I I literally just, I switched the the reveal off, because I just lost all interest. I mean, I didn't, that's not what I was expecting uh, from Pokemon And granted, I mean, I will give credit. It's cool that they're branching Pokemon out into, like, different genres because I think Pokemon, if in the right hands, can be a very flexible IP and can apply to all sorts of genres. This makes exactly as much sense as Pokken did. Yeah, yeah. and Pokken's great. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, Tencent also leaves a really bad taste in my mouth. And uh, actually, Tencent, this is probably a separate conversation, but, like, they're... 
ever increase increasing influence on the gaming industry is something I'm quite scared of. Uh, oh, simply it because looks I'm like not. Oh, does it to you? Yeah. Okay, it, that's cool. It looked like people are moving and using abilities. Maybe it's that one bit really got me, but it it seems weird. Yeah, but just going back to Tencent, I feel like they haven't really they're really focused on like mobile gaming and obviously like that's not a direction of gaming I'm interested in. And as they grow bigger, I feel like I fear the influence they'll have on the industry at large. And I feel like they really have yet to prove themselves as, uh, to me at least as capable of putting out games that I care about. I mean, Tencent uh, doesn't care about money at this point because they literally, actually they own a good yeah, chunk of Riot I mean, they're as well. huge. Yeah, Tencent's absolutely gargantuan. Yeah, they don't. They can release a competitor to their own game because they don't care. Yeah, I have. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't necessarily agree. Like a lot of people don't want to download the Epic Game Store because of Tencent, and like, I think that's maybe going a bit too far. But I do agree. Like. China has a weird chokehold on some game companies right now that I'm not super cool with. Like, they they seem to have a lot of power over Blizzard lately, which I don't really like. Yeah, and that's going back to, you know, other things we've seen, you know, like back to the Hong Kong protests and how, you know, lots of companies put out statements, but Blizzard, you know, obviously didn't because of their relationship with China. Yeah. Among other things, yeah. And I just feel like a lot of companies are going that way. You know, even Valve is not infallible in that regard. You know, I mean, people. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. think any anything's infallible at this point from the influence of China. I mean, you know, speaking more broadly than just video games, right? Like they. Oh, I mean, I think I don't think your indie games are going to have that oh, issue. Oh yeah, yeah, you of know? course, yeah. But so. you know, if you if you get big enough, China's involved. <laughs> you know. Yes. Yeah. But I guess yeah. we'll see. I mean, uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, I think every game deser- deserves a fair shake. And uh, a Pokemon MOBA is a fresh new idea. It's just I'm very skeptical as to the staying power of such a thing. I don't know. I, I was excited when I first heard about it because I like most Pokemon spinoffs far more than the mainline games. That's true. Yeah, you've said that before. So I, I doubt I'll play it, though. I didn't play Pokemon either. So. Yeah. It'll be one of those things that I look at from afar and I'm like, oh, that's kind of neat. And then, you know, continue on about my day because yeah, I don't that's play probably, and I don't play Pokemon. It's probably the extent for me as well. But Mike, if you ever check it out, I'm, I'm, I'd be interested to see what you think. Oh, we'll see. <laughs> but yeah, I think, Mike, you, uh, you've had something on your mind for a while now regarding Blizzard and their, and their treatment of esports. Do you want to kind of oh, give boy. us a... Give us a primer here, and we can get into that. So, Blizzard is now sitting on the corpses of two potential esports now. Overwatch being the most recent one, and Heroes of the Storm, they abandoned that last year. And the main common denominator between these two games is Blizzard punching as much money as they could possibly throw at this scene in hopes that it'll grow and it never grows, for different reasons. Heroes of the Storm had this problem where... It wanted to be a MOBA, but it also wanted to be a team brawler, which is what it was. Mm-hmm. And so 
nothing interesting came out of the scene. There were no standout players because everyone shared levels and XP and everything. So there's no point in being a good individual player when it's all based on the back of your team. Which kind of sucked because Here of the Storm was really interesting. Yeah, I've played a couple but, rounds of it. Uh, and I had fun with what I played, but obviously I never got into it too deep to really sort of uh, understand it the way you do. I barely understand it, but I understand enough to realize that if you're a standout player, it doesn't matter if your team's bad. Because mm-hmm. you're still going to be held back by the team. Yeah. And so what's the problem with Overwatch now? Because I always thought Overwatch was like one of the premier eSport titles. Uh, it, it's only premier because Blizzard threw a lot of money out of it. At it and... All of it was run by Blizzard. Every single Overwatch tournament to this point was sponsored by Blizzard. So they threw a lot of money at a, at a game that was still relatively unbalanced and fell victim to being super accessible. And the meta stagnated. Like, the Overwatch was dealing with a meta that was the same six heroes for almost a year. <laughs> Yeah, no one else dealt with it. I can imagine that could get uh, kind of boring to watch, too. Um, And now you have a mass exodus of players to Valorant. So, I mean... Yeah, well, here's the thing, though. Valorant and Overwatch are very different kinds of games. They are. So, I'm I'm surprised to hear that that that's where those players are going. Granted, I don't think there's anything quite like Overwatch that they could migrate to, if you think about it. The thing about... Like, Blizzard should take a step back and look at their esports and see, oh, Riot has smaller tournaments as well, or they have, like, a separate league. Because Riot also throws money at their esports, but they let that esports scene develop before they started throwing money at it. Yeah, like, so, like, even before LCS came out, or LEC, or their regional leagues, there was already little tournaments that people were organizing. Yeah, and it sounds kind of like what you're saying is like so they 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 do throw money at the competitive scene, but they don't actually improve the game itself. Is that no. kind of what you're saying? Yeah, Blizzard never improves their games. Yeah, because like Riot, stagnant. for instance, you know, League of Legends is constantly getting balanced updates and new champions, and those champions are often overpowered, so then they have to be tweaked to fit in with the rest of the roster. I just from my you know from my experiences with League of Legends, I've always had a uh, profound re- respect for the the balancing that must go on in that game. I feel like it's it's a very pre- precarious balancing act because uh, there's so many different systems at play and they're constantly having to make sure that's perfectly balanced. And I imagine that's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah, Blizzard just shows their inexperience since they've dipped their feet in a lot of different pots. Whereas Riot's been making League for ten a decade now. Mm-hmm. They know what a MOBA is, and they have it down to a core science. Does that mean they make mistakes? Yes. But generally, they're fixed, and they're still working on making things better. Overwatch had the problem of, instead of nerfing people, let's just introduce a new character that counters this character. Yeah, and I don't know. In, in general, when it comes to, like... You know, fighting games or competitive games. I'm of the mindset that I always prefer buffs over nerfs. Like if 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 a couple characters are like OP, I would rather them buff everyone else to compensate rather than nerf those two OP characters. But yeah, just introducing new characters that counter those characters isn't the problem because then I guess 
I feel like those characters are now the problem. Yeah, Overwatch introduced Brigitte, which was ugh, a year or two ago now, <laughs> and she just completely destroyed the meta because she was a support that could also tank and had a had a free stun. Like <laughs> she could heal, she could stun, and she became a backbone of an entire comp. Yeah, strictly because of that sh- of that. And then there was Moira, who still is stuck in the meta because she has an easy-to-use weapon that doesn't require aiming. It's just a beam that attaches to people. Right after they nerf Symmetra and get rid of that beam that people hated, they add it to another character. Surprise. Mm-hmm. And she just does insane amounts of healing. It, it's a game that has so many faults that they keep compounding. And removing the elements that express skill. Like, they nerfed Genji really early on, and Genji had this cool ability to jump across the map, and it was really fun to play. Yeah. That's a shame to hear, because I, I've i said before in this podcast that when Overwatch was first came out, rather, it wasn't even out, I think it was like early access or something, but I played it for like a solid two weeks, nonstop. Like, I absolutely loved it, and then I never touched it again after that. Oh no, from, I loved early Overwatch. Yeah, but from, from what I experienced, like everything was hyper balanced and like everyone had their own strengths and weaknesses and it was a joy to play anyone because everyone had this sort of depth to them. Uh, and it's it's sort of unfortunate to hear that from what you're saying, it sounds like there's only two or three viable characters now that really render everyone else useless. Yeah, and they've tried to do like Rolox, hero pool bans where they select the characters that are banned for a given two-week span, which I don't agree with. I think the pros should be able to choose who's banned each individual game, like yeah, another MOBA. Like what Riot does, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a strange choice to me. It's like, and they'll, it's just arbitrary. Like, oh, hey, two DPSs are banned this, this week, and only one tank and one healer. Oh, oh hey, all, two healers out of the five or six the game has are banned now. Have yeah, fun. So- that's not good because they're like artificially creating the meta that yeah. way. They're not letting it develop naturally. And it's too fat. It's every two weeks. A meta takes a while to develop. It's not every two weeks you just introduce a new thing and be like, surprise, meta's gone. Yeah, it's that's like a that's a curious decision. That's it's like, like why if would Riot they... were to rework a champion every two weeks and say, surprise, here's the new meta. It's, yeah, that makes no sense to me. Like, I, it's it's surprising to hear this. Uh, uh, I mean, we just crapped on Blizzard earlier on in the show, but like, they have a storied history of success. You know, like especially when you consider like their big MMOs, like World of Warcraft, right, and even Hearthstone, right? Like Hearthstone, I don't have any experience with that, so I'm not going to talk ill on it. But I think it's still an eSport, and people still play it, which is yeah weird. But what but. I was getting at is, like, Blizzard ha- has had in the past a sort of reputation for, like, pristine games. Um, and it's kind of surprising to hear that Overwatch is sort of uh, uh, bucking that now. Yeah, it's unfortunate because Overwatch did have a lot of potential. But even even watching Overwatch when it first released as like an esport was painful and it's still painful because they haven't done much to improve it. It's too flashy. There's too many particle effects that go on at one time. It's just so noisy and it honestly hurts your eyes unless you're actively playing it. Yeah. Maybe like 
this, and this is just a total guess from me, but it sort of sounds like that whoever's managing Overwatch at Blizzard has sort of decided that they want to take Overwatch in a more casual direction, direction where which maybe is more accessible to new players, and but that might come at the expense of the competitive scene. Yeah, if you want a good competitive game, there's visual clarity is really important, especially for a spectator. The pro, it doesn't matter for the pro because the pro's gonna see whatever they need to see. But if the viewer can't discern who's who from a storm of particles, then there's a problem. You look at yeah. League of Legends; everything's very clear, every ability is very transparent, and how it works and what it is, and everything's visually clear. Even in like a hectic fight, you can still tell sort of what's going on. Yes, yeah, absolutely. But that's actually, yeah, that's one of League's strongest aspects, I think. Because when I first uh, played League, like, and team fights broke out, it was so chaotic. I had no idea what was happening. Like, it was overwhelming, actually. But then after playing for a while, you can sort of dissect all the micro interactions that happen within the span of seconds and fully understand what's happening and i think that's that's part of the beauty of league yeah it's and i'm gonna brag on heroes of the storm more blizzard put a lot of money into an eat game that had no business being an esport really like heroes was more of a casual fun moba that really had no standout way of being an esport well, I think they wa- saw the kind of uh, traffic that League of Legends was getting, and they wanted a slice of that pie, obviously. But but they made know. a game that's super accessible to a fault, instead of looking at what makes League interesting to watch, which is high-skill players doing high-skill things on high-skill cap characters. Yes, and so, and like, yeah. And 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 the super accessibility, like we've talked about before, is could can be a double-edged sword, right? Because like you can have a lot of players come in initially, and for a while your game's doing great, but unless there's real complexity and depth there, they're not going to stay. You know, like the professionals and the the esports players, uh, they stay for a game and keep that game alive and develop yeah. its meta. And if that's not there, yeah, it's going to be popular for a while, but th- th- there's an expiration date on it. And if you get a, a player whose star power and whose skill is so well-renowned, even people who don't watch esports, like, I don't watch League esports, but I know who Faker is because yeah. he's a living god. Yeah, Faker's a legend. And the man's a legend. I can tell, I can list a ton of high-skill Dota players off the top of my head. They might not be currently active, but I remember when I watched Dota esports that they were really good at the game. Yeah. And... Even I can't name anybody that was good at Heroes of the Storm because it was just a brawler. <laughs> I was all about grouping up, fighting, and then going to get an objective and pushing. And that was it. There was no split pushing. There was no, oh, we got to move over here. It was just a game about brawling. So... We're we're using the past tense here a lot. Like you can still play he- heroes. You can Storm, still play right? heroes, but it's mostly developed on a skeleton crew at this point. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. I think overall it's kind of surprising hearing these things from Blizzard. Uh, Ten years ago, you would think that Blizzard could do uh, no wrong, at least when it comes to their the games they maintain. But hey, at least StarCraft is still going strong. 
The thing is, Blizzard's not putting money into that one. That one developed naturally. Yeah, StarCraft is one of those games where I know how big it is, but I know, like, next to nothing about it. I knew next to nothing about it, and I still enjoy watching StarCraft games. Yeah. Because they're, like, an eight-minute-long experience at, at at minimum. That's it. The game's really gone. That short? Minute. Yeah, it's, like, eight minutes. I think the longest game I watched was, like, 30 minutes. Wait, so, like, what, what genre of game is StarCraft? RTS. RTS. Oh, okay, okay. I have one right here, and the first game, this game went for 18 minutes. See, that's really cool. You know, like, a lot of these competitive games take, you know, closer to an hour, you know, like, upwards of 30 minutes a lot of the time, and and to hear that, you know, StarCraft games are so digestible is, is kind of yeah, attractive. No. I remember Total Biscuit did a whole tournament series for StarCraft. And it was like an hour-long series of like 18, 18 games. You got a lot of value from that hour. Yeah, for sure. And it was always exciting to watch because even if you don't know what's going on, you can still see, oh, he's perfectly building this economy up. And then all of a sudden, there's a massive fight in the center. And then it's back to expanding. Yeah, it's still crazy to me, like, out of the RTSs I've experienced, like, I can't imagine, like, one taking only, like, 15 minutes. I feel like so much has to happen in that 15 minutes, right? Uh, yeah, there's a lot that happens in that 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the APM on these players is so high. So. Oh, yeah, I bet. Yeah. They move I, Blizzard's super fast. Just, Blizzard's really joined... Blizzard, Activision Blizzard has really joined Bethesda in the... Uh, the upper echelon of companies that made great games 10 years ago. <laughs> they really have. Like, Yeah, I think more than anything sad. with with Blizzard and Bethesda, like I think we've just moved on to an, into a new era almost. Like uh and that era, the era of Bethesda and Blizzard dominance, at least in terms of like, you know, popular mindshare has kind of gone down. I mean, they still make boatloads of money. Uh, so in that regard, they're still extremely relevant. But in terms of like when people talk about quality, revered games, those two names aren't brought up as much anymore. I'm just thinking about the Doom uh, update that came out. I think yesterday or today. Doom and update. Yeah, for Doom Eternal. Yeah. That adds a new multiplayer map and like new skins and like. That's hey, not is, Doom. <laughs> yeah, this is Doom, guys. Like. <laughs> no one cares like that multiplayer was dead on arrival i don't know a single person who bought doom eternal who actually played a single round of the multiplayer yeah Yeah. maybe like i mean there was that era of time where like lots of single player games got tacked on multiplayer and i guess it was in the hope of making extra money right like i my mind goes back to you guys remember like mass effect 3 had a multiplayer and and assassin's creed well, I, I I unabashedly love the Assassin's Creed multiplayer. Me too, but it, you can't argue that it wasn't tacked yeah, on. It, it was it really was, good. Yeah. It, it was, was really good, on. but it was n- unnecessary. Uh, another one, Bioshock 2 had a multiplayer mode. Really? Yes, it did. That's insane. Uh, I didn't know so, that. So, yeah, these, these games, you know, like, they're designed to be one thing, and that's that's great. They, they should do what they're good at, which is telling really cool, uh, single, really good single-player stories. My problem know, like, isn't even that Doom has multiplayer. It's that they didn't put a team deathmatch in Doom Eternal. Like, yeah, 
The only thing they put in was that, like, the two demons versus one slayer thing. And, like, yeah, that, I played choice. as the demon. You, you play as the demons a little bit in the campaign, and it's boring. Like, they don't play as well as the slayer. Why would I ever want to play as them in multiplayer? Yeah, I mean, that just screams to me that, like, I don't know. Whoever made that decision doesn't really understand what Doom is. Uh, and they still haven't given us the one multiplayer thing that the game was going to have that sounded good, which was the invasion-style stuff that they said uh, the single-player campaign would have, sort of like Dark Souls. Oh, yeah. Wow, I didn't know that was going to be a part that's, of it. That's still not in. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. So, I don't know. Games I'm like just, Doom, games like Mass Effect, games like Bioshock, they absolutely do not need multiplayer. Yeah. These big companies just seem so tone deaf is what I'm is what I take away from it cuz like Blizzard seems super tone deaf towards their esports to me as well like it's always really bothered me that when Overwatch when an Overwatch when the, when there's an esports plug on like a cereal box for Overwatch they put a picture of the character and not the player and that makes me right. so angry yeah that's so stupid yeah i mean these decisions uh they screamed to me of, you know, like, whoever made them, it was a strictly, you know, monetary decision. You know, they did an analysis and, like, okay, this will give us more money if we do X. So they do X regardless of what people think. People like yep. us think, at least. Um, it just so seems yeah. like a colossal misunderstanding of what they're trying to do, though. Yeah, it, th- yeah that dissonance is definitely there. There's nobody, uh, I, you I know, it, it, that's like putting a picture of a soccer ball on the, you know instead of the actual player like it doesn't make any sense yeah true yeah blizzard doesn't know how to foster personalities see i think with blizzard at least with overwatch like they put so much stock into those characters and they want to make their characters mascots of or of sorts which is why they stick them on you know serial boxes and whatnot which you know, I understand the reasoning there, but like that's absolutely not the right approach. You need to highlight the players of the game, uh, and that'll, you know, that that will do more for the longevity of your title, I think. Yeah, like Diva is not an esports icon, never will be. <laughs> like, yeah, Tracer is not. It's just irrelevant. That's those are tools. They're not. It's it's frustrating. I think now you put the player next to their character or something. Yeah. You know, how hard is it to open up Photoshop and throw that together? But <laughs> but I guess where I was going with my comments is that they're trying to make Tracer into like a Mario. You know what I'm trying to say? Like they're yeah. they're trying to make them, you know. Oh, that'll never happen. Mascots. Yeah. None of the, those characters are good enough to be mascots. Hot yeah. take. Hot take. That's not a hot take. Blizzard Overwatch also has the problem where uh. Obstantly, it's a first-person shooter, but it's more a game about managing your ultimate. That's, like, the key point. You can be real crappy mechanic-wise, but as long as you know when to use your ultimate, you're fine. And that was not what a lot of people signed up to play. They signed up to play a shooter, not a game where we press Q and win games. Yeah, and, and, and the over-reliance on an ultimate really sounds kind of like a, like a MOBA aspect to me, right? And uh, and Overwatch always did sort of combine the tendencies of a first-person shooter and a MOBA, but it looks like, you know, like, the first-person shooter aspect of it, which is the skill-based aspect, 
is I think the most interesting aspect of that game, and they yeah. might have leaned too hard into the other aspect of it, the MOBA. Yeah, aspect. a lot of the meta characters don't actually rely that much on a mechanical aim, which is odd to say the least. Yeah, that really kind of truncates the the level of uh, just how deep that game can get. I guess. Yeah. Like I'm looking up the current tier list. As of May, yeah, you get like Reinhardt up there, who's just a shield. I remember playing lots of Reinhardt when I first uh, played it. I always have an affinity for like tanky characters. And there's Echo, who's I don't even know who the, who Echo is. I just don't like Overwatch. It never rubbed it, me the right way. It, it has really good game it. feel. It felt real good to play, but yeah. It just... It probably has the best game feel of any first-person shooter ever, but that's not enough. Like, I don't know, Valorant made me feel way better than playing Overwatch. I haven't, I haven't had a chance to play Valorant yet. Because but. it Valorant, the time to kill so much better than Overwatch, especially since there's no like big, beefy 600 health characters that just eat bullets and throw as much damage back. I just mean the feedback you get when you get a kill and Overwatch feels incredible. Oh god, I love the feed the Valorant feedback. Just even the headshot sound, you just get a good clunk and you're just like, ah, oh, that feels good. Mm. You get a clunk and a nice fountain and you're it just <laughs> feels great. Nice fountain. That's uh it's morbid. It it could be a fountain unless you turn gore off and then it's uh then it's just some sparks. Still Although, feels good. I have I have no place to talk about violence or morbidity uh, being a bad thing, <laughs> considering what I've been playing. Yeah, um, I was going to yeah. say, is this a, a good cue to move over to our games we've been playing? Because I know you are dying to talk about yours, Amid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, no, I mean, okay, so bottom line, The Last of Us Part Two. uh is one of the most profound experiences with a piece of media I've had in my life. But it is such a bleak and depressing and gruesome and tragic story. It is relentless on you. Um, I think one of the biggest things I can say about this game, uh, that it's, it's done something to me that no other game has done before, in which there were two or three moments in that game that I can clearly think back to in which I was so repulsed by what was happening on the screen. I literally didn't want to play. Uh, Like I, I was hoping the character I was controlling would just stop. I was like begging the character to stop. Like I did not want to go through with what was happening. And I know this sounds weird, uh, in a spoiler-free context. But I think the power of, of The Last of Us Part Two is that it can elicit those feelings in you. Uh, you, the player, who has to keep playing it to beat the game, it can make you not want to proceed due to the sheer difficulty of the... of uh, of the choice the, char- the character is making on the screen. Um... And that's not necessarily to say it was because of violence or anything. It was just when these choices happened and you know what it meant for these characters and 
you know, sometimes these characters, you know, are crossing a line that they can't go back from. And you would just pray and wish that they would come to their senses and stop and just let things go. Um, but they don't, obviously, because, you know, it's it's a story and it's not a choice based game. They're, Naughty Dog is telling you a story and you're you are the uh, the vehicle that moves the story in the directions that Naughty Dog wants you to move it in. But yeah, that's uh, and again, it's very hard to talk about this game spoiler free. Like I'm honestly just dying to talk about the the nuances in the story in this game with with someone. <laughs> and I was thinking I might do like a spoiler cast or something and find some people who who have completed the game that can share this discussion with me because I don't think you guys have right. You no, guys have bought it. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I'm I think wait until the hype dies down a little, maybe that'll make me less uh less contrarian than i was yeah. with uh the first one well, well here's the thing um critics love this game but in terms of fan reception it is very very divisive um i've seen people hate this game that love the first one uh just from like reading online impressions and whatnot um but i can tell you from my perspective i think this game far surpasses the first game uh and I think a big part of it is, uh, and I haven't even got to gameplay yet, I'll get to it in a minute, but a big part of it is the emotional complexity just present in this story. Just, it, it left me confused as to what to feel for certain characters at multiple times. And I had to, and it's been several days since I beat the game now, and it's been constantly on my mind. It's basically all I've been thinking about. And the more I, and it took me that amount of time, honestly, to sort of unpack my feelings and sort of solidify what I think about what happened to these characters. Uh, and I think that's also a great strength of this game that, like, when it's happening on screen, you just kind of have to take it in because it's so sudden and uh, and and you don't really have time to process it. But after beating the game, you really get to marinate on it and sort of understand why things happened the way they did and what it means for those characters. Um, and I think, especially uh, to me, obviously, like I cried multiple times when playing this game. And I think a reason for that, obviously, is because I was so attached to the characters from the first game. And obviously, if you're not, if you don't really care about Joel or Ellie, maybe the story won't hit as hard for you. But... But where I was going with that, not only does it make me care a lot about, obviously, Joel and Ellie, the protagonists from the original game, but brand new characters that are introduced in this game, I care about an extraordinary amount as well. Um, and then Naughty Dog balancing all of those characters who, I guess, minor spoilers, you know, like, not all of them are chummy with each other. Obviously, this is a very tragic, harrowing game. Um, these these characters that you all care about uh, intermingling and you know at 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 times even clashing with each other, uh, it really sort of puts you on the edge of your seat. Um, like, yeah, there were there there were times in this game where I I felt like I couldn't breathe. Like it was so stressful. Like by far the most stressed I've been playing a video game. Uh, and just. The I, I I have to commend Neil Druckmann, the director slash uh, one of the co-writers on this game, for the sheer the sheer gumption to do some of the things he did in this game. 
especially not and not just story decisions. I'm talking about like things he makes you, the player, do to interact with the story on your own terms. Like it's 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 appalling to me that he even made me do some things. And I again, yes, this is very nebulous and strange sounding, but uh, this is a game that you shouldn't have spoiled for you. And and again, if you were spoiled by the leaks, honestly, that really means nothing. The leaks don't mean anything because without the context, without the full story, it's just a moment. But that moment, once you have the context of the full story, means so much more. Um, and I'm sure Connor knows what I'm talking about here. Um, because you've seen the leaks, right? Yeah. But yeah, um, this game surprised me. It put me on edge. It stressed me out to an extraordinary degree. Like, there were parts in the game where my heart was beating out of my chest. Uh, and obviously brought me to tears several times as well. Um, so strictly speaking in terms of story, the game is is, is, is something to behold. Uh, I can't... I, I almost can't even say I enjoyed it, right? Like, because... It's so dreary and dark and bleak, but it's one of those things that, like, after you experience it, uh, after you experience it, you're glad you did. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's enough about the story. I kind of wanted to talk about the gameplay as well. Uh, I think the gameplay is vastly improved from the first game. Um, I, I personally think it is the best third-person combat I've experienced in a video game since Metal Gear Solid V. I don't know if either of you have played that game, but that game had sublime third-person combat. I uh, I didn't get far enough in Metal Gear Solid Five to experience combat. I don't think. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, in this game, uh, you know, Ellie can go prone now instead of just crouch, so that adds a lot of variety to the stealth encounters. The combat is absolutely brutal uh, and i'm sure you guys have seen this in previews and stuff but it is just extraordinarily violent like it it does not shy away from violence at all you know like if if someone's stabbed in the throat in this game it it looks like a real person is stabbed in the throat you know like blood's like spurt, spurting out of their carotid artery and it's mm. it's hyper realistic um but it's it's violent for a reason. I think the game has to be this violent to service the kind of story it's trying to tell. And I know that sounds really weird. And I, I'm I'm looking forward to elaborating on those reasons if I ever do a spoiler cast. But I think that the violence is the correct choice here. And uh, I think the in addition to that, you know, just talking about the combat a little more, the melee combat has gotten a big upgrade. There's actually a dedicated dodge button now. It's similar to the dodge in, like, I don't want to say Dark Souls, because Dark Souls is, like, a roll, but, like, this is just, like, a quick dodge, kind of like in God of War. Um, and and the combination of the dodge and the melee strikes make the combat, like, really frenetic and impactful and, uh, like, quick. So that's the melee combat. The shooting also, you know, feels incredible. And, <laughs> Mike, you mentioned, like, the blood geyser after you shoot someone's head off. Well, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, just imagine that being doubly gruesome in The Last of Us Part Two. So when you shoot someone in the face, you know, like 
everything you imagine that would be at play is at play, you know, like bone, brain, all of that. Mm. Uh, yeah. It is a very gruesome game. Uh, so if that kind of thing really kind of unsettles you, then this is definitely not the game for you. Uh, just well, I'm warning, sure it has gore options. Warning the general audience out there. Oh, another thing, uh, Connor, you mentioned options. The accessibility yeah, options you in this game are like, obscene. I've heard you could spend an evening going through the accessibility options. Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous to the point. Like it's so in depth, you can even alter the enemy AI, wow. uh, which I think is is exceptional. Uh, I was gonna say I can't imagine there's not uh, gore options in there. Yeah, I've actually haven't had the chance to peruse through those menus myself, but I've seen like videos on them and stuff. But like they have all sorts of. Um, Options for disabled gamers. Uh, they 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 even have the claim that someone 100% blind can beat the game and all the side content completely uh, wow. due to their accessibility options, which I think is really sort of extraordinary. And something that really hit that point home, like there was like a video on YouTube of a blind gamer reacting to these uh, options, and he was literally just sobbing because uh, no one's uh, you, you know like companies typically don't do this level of uh attention this the, devote these kind of resources to accessibility so i it's think it's a difficult I, audience to appeal to yeah yeah i'm I, not gonna you know i'm not gonna crucify no, the rest of the industry no, for not I, making I, I, i'm not doing that i just think yeah. i do think naughty dog deserves to be applauded uh for what they did yeah. here though i think i saw uh, a lot of people saying they think this is going to be the new standard and i really doubt that but i'm hoping that it's it, it might a be a triple a standard right it might be a triple A standard, which would be good, right? Because like triple A might have the resources to devote to this, you know, like even if it takes, you know, some resources away from like the development of the game itself, I think it might be worth it in some cases, you know, like to yeah. have these options there. So more people who who would want to experience the game can't because of some unfortunate uh, problem they might have. But yeah, they, they have just so FYI, they have three major tiers of um accessibility options one for uh visibility one for uh auditory and one for motor right so like your hands so within these three subsections there's like a litany of options which you can tweak all sorts of things or you could just go with the preset for visual or the preset for you know uh auditory or whatever uh so again real real props to naughty dog for doing that i think that's uh that's really good oh what else i think Oh, the combat, yeah. So, back to the combat for a little bit. So, obviously, infected are still a big part of this game, right? You have your runners and clickers, but there's also new infected now, and um, I'm not going to ex spoil what those are or why they're there, and that all those questions are sort of addressed <clears throat> in the game. Uh, why these infected are now here where they weren't in The Last of Us Part 1. But, um... Yeah, I think the combat against the infected is actually easier in this game than it is in the first game. But uh, conversely, the combat against humans is much, much harder. And I think that, I mean, that I don't want to... sounds intentional. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't want to put words in the director's mouth, but I feel like that is 100% intentional, especially with the tone of this story. Like, what I what I think is really cool about The Last of Us is that it's not a game about the zombie apocalypse, right? Like, the zombie apocalypse is just a backdrop, so you can experience the story about these characters. And yeah, the yeah, so the combat against 
people is much more difficult. And the enemy AI is much improved in this game, right? So, like, and something that's they did, which is kind of neat, but also kind of goofy, I think, is that each enemy, like, each minor enemy has their own name, right? So, like, I think they wanted you to feel bad or something for, for killing them, because, like, when you kill someone and someone discovers you know, their body or whatever. They're like, oh no, Kevin, or whatever. You know, it's, which I think is kind of neat, but also I don't think it hit exactly the intended thing they wanted because it's just, I don't know. For me, it kind of got weirdly comical after a while. It's just like, no, Margaret, no. It's just Yeah, I mean, this isn't the first time Naughty Dog's <laughs> tried that sort of thing. You know, they tried to make you feel bad in Uncharted 2. Like... Yeah, so, I mean... I, I, I don't think it hit the intended emotional effect, but I think it is cool that, you know, like, all the enemies have their own name. And and because of that, you know, like, they call out, they're like, you know, Joe, Bob, you check this area, and, you know, Steve, you come with me, or whatever. And um, the AI is is uh, much better in the fir- than the first game, you know. So enemies, if you get spotted, enemies will flank you. Uh, no longer can you just turtle in the same spot like you can in most Naughty Dog games, right? Like, you, you just stay behind cover, pop out, shoot a couple people, get back in cover, wait for another opportunity. If you stay in one spot in this game, you will die quickly. Uh, it is a game about movement. You have to stay mobile at all times. Every time you engage an enemy, you should have multiple escape routes. And uh, I think the combat in this game is fast and furious and fun. Uh, much more so than the first game, I think. And uh, another thing, the the weapon upgrades are so satisfying in this game. Like, you know, like, it's it's such a triple-A aspect of this game where even the weapon upgrades, like, every time Ellie finds an upgrade workbench or whatever, you know how in the, in, in the first game you would just access the work, workbench, the UI would come up and you'd apply an upgrade, right? Yeah. Well, in this game, <clears throat> each upgrade has its <laughs> own animation. So Ellie actually, like, takes apart the gun, and if you want to do an upgrade to apply a scope to the gun, she actually takes, like, a scope from the workbench and installs it and, like, screws it onto the gun, and there's animations for all that. It's just like, what the heck? Like, that's totally unnecessary, but, like, it's there, right? And it looks really good and sounds really good, and I think that's just, you know, part of the triple anus of the game. Wow, that sounded weird. The triple Um, anus? Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> um, Go but, on. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think I've talked about the story. I talked about the gameplay. Two of the final things I want to talk about uh, are the one is the graphics. Uh, my God, the graphics in this game are just stupid. Like this is clearly a PlayStation five game that's been stuffed into a PS4. I think after playing it, there's almost no doubt in my mind. Wasn't like, that the original Last of Us for the PS3? It was clearly a PS4 game. Yes, stuff I think I think PS3. Yeah, I think we're seeing something similar here. Like, uh, this is beyond the level of anything visually I've seen this console generation. So what you're uh, telling me is we're gonna get a Last of Us 2 remastered that runs in 60 frames per second so in about a year. I I think we're going to get a free upgrade for the Last of Us on PS5. I think the days of releasing remasters are over. I. Could be wrong, but I hope I, I I like to think that they're over. I have a um, hard time believing that with how much money's been made on remasters this gen. Sony's already announced several titles that are getting free like PS5 updates. 
Yeah. Uh, so I feel like that's the trend going forward, but we shall see. But yeah, again, uh, the graphics, the HDR, it just looks superb. Like, just the asset developers and artists and everyone involved with the look of this game just went out of their minds on this one. It just... It, it, there's so many varied environments, and they all look completely stunning. And uh, similar to the first game, except now on steroids, like, every environment is littered with so many small details. Like, it feels like everything was lovingly crafted by hand. There's only so much I can do to describe the visuals without you guys seeing the game, but looks stunning. And last of all, the audio. I played this game with surround sound headphones, it was an experience. Like, I, I typically don't play with headphones. Maybe that's stupidity on my part. But like, playing this game with headphones, especially you know, like in infected areas with clickers and uh, all that sort of thing, just sort of like listening around and trying my best not to get murdered. Um, it 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 was it was a joy to play uh, with with the omnidirectional audio with my headphones, and. Uh, I think last but not least, I have to shout out the the music in this game, uh, especially you know obviously the musical score by Gustavo Santolaya. I think that's his name. Yeah, um, it's it's haunting and beautiful, and uh, it totally fits with the tone of this game. Uh, there's also um, I guess this is minor spoilers for the game, but I think it's an important enough aspect to not. To, to, to be discussed here. There are parts in the game where you can pick up a guitar and play it. Um, and they do this really cute thing with, like, the touchpad where, like, you swipe your finger on the touchpad to, uh, to strum the strings, right? And then you can... There's, like, a dial in which you can choose the chord you want to play. So they have, like, all the different chords listed, you know, A through G, and then, like, all the sharps and flats and whatnot, right? So... They're real chords, and you can see Ellie's hand actually, like, contorting to fit those chords. And there's various parts in the game where Ellie would uh, play the guitar and sing uh, basically covers to various popular songs. And uh, those moments were extremely special to me, I think. they, Without getting into story spoilers, those moments have extreme significance to the themes and the story of this game, as well as their, like a brief respite from the constant onslaught of horribleness. And it's just, they're, they're just really beautiful moments. And uh, I think the, the uh, Ashley Johnson, the actress who plays Ellie, her voice is really beautiful. So when she sings and plays the guitar like that, like it sounds really nice in terms of music. I just wanted to give some shout outs there to both, you know, Ashley Johnson and the composer Gustavo Santolaya. And as well, I think there's another composer for the game that does the music for, like, the more intense encounters. So it's not strictly the guitar-based score that Gustavo composed, right? But, like, <clears throat> the intense, uh, the more, like, action-y intense encounters have, like, a really cool, like, synthesized soundtrack now. And I think that juxtaposed with the acoustic guitar that Gustavo provides really provides like a really varied uh musical soundscape for this game so yeah in summary looks great sounds great plays great and uh one of the most haunting 
uh, stories I have experienced in my life, in any form of media, I would think. Uh, and I'm still thinking about it, I'm still dissecting it, still discovering new opinions about it as I ruminate on it. And hopefully one one of these days soon I can do a spoiler discussion on it, but yeah, that's it for now. I've, I, uh, I beat The Last of Us Part 2 in the span of, so I started it Saturday night, and I stayed up Monday night all the way till 6 a.m. beating it, knowing that I have work the next day. I just didn't care. I had to finish the story at that point. <laughs> uh, it took me, and if, if, if the length is a spoiler for you, please uh, just skip ahead like a minute if you're listening. Um, it took me roughly 31 hours to beat the game. That's a lot longer than I expected. Yeah, it, it is a very long game. Well, and and, that, and to be uh, fair, I'm the type of player that explores every nook and cranny. Uh, I I honestly played this game like a Souls game. Like, I would search every corner for secrets. So granted, if you don't play that way, that'll probably shave a few hours off. But like I've he- like even the lowest time, like the lowest time I've heard is 25 hours. So. It's still significantly longer than any Naughty Dog game previous to this. Yeah, I was going to say, that's more than twice as long as I expected. Yeah. And I I should have said this earlier, but I do want to include this in uh, before I shut up. But um, this game, the closest I can... If you guys want like a an analog to this game, Shadow of the Colossus is the last time I felt this way playing a video game. And granted, The Last of Us 2, uh, those feelings are way enhanced in The Last of Us 2. But the last time I felt this was when I played Shadow of the Colossus. And what do I mean by that? So in Shadow of the Colossus, like you're obviously on this journey to kill all the Colossi. It's a grand epic tale, or not tale, but undertaking, right? But as you're doing it, as you're killing the Colossi, there's this growing feeling of unease and almost disgust within you as you kill all these majestic creatures that really were kind of just mining. And that culminates, obviously, in tragedy at the end of that game. This game is like that, but amplified several times. As you play through the game, as the characters take the actions they do, you feel like internally like I don't want to do this. I don't want you to do this. Please stop to save your humanity. Uh, but obviously things just get worse and worse and uh, culminate in some of the most intense moments I've ever had in any form of media. So yeah, Last of Us Part Two. That's that's what that game is for me. So what have you been playing, uh, Connor? Uh, well, Mike uh, talked about the game I've been playing, but he really sold me on Satisfactory, and I have Ooh. been playing it. I think I have one save that has 31 hours in it and another one that has close to 12, I think. Dang. Yeah, because I started playing multiplayer with a friend, and that game is just... It's just really chill and relaxing to just sit at, sit back, plan your factory out, you know, uh, you definitely get punished for not being organized, but at no point, it's not so much that you don't get punished for not being organized. Let me, let me center myself. It doesn't really punish you for not being organized so much as it rewards you in massive ways for being organized. So like my first few factories I did, and I've done three at this point. 
and they pretty much all started and and I would build them with a specific purpose in mind and I would like put a machine at the very end I would put that first and like basically just feed it and my entire goal would be to get that one machine to 100% efficiency and uh as I progressed through the game I kind of realized uh, let me take a step back for those of you for the uninitiated satisfactory is a factory is a 3D open world factory building game where you basically just build bigger and bigger and more complicated factories as you progress unlocking new machinery and stuff but uh yeah originally I would like build build the end and then like build everything up to that afterwards but I've realized as I got farther in the game that I really just need to build what's called a main bus which is just everything every supply in the game going down a single conveyor belt chain so that I can pull off of it to power any machine that I need and uh, that's what I've been working on and I've spent probably six hours now just trying to put that main bus together not even building the factory that it's going to support and yeah, it's just jeez it's a lot of stuff like that and the <laughs> multiplayer is really fun although I gotta admit that uh, my multiplayer world I the, the reason I didn't just keep going in the world I was in was because the game has a really good uh, it doesn't really tutorialize anything particularly well but it eases you into the more complicated mechanics uh really well it has a really smooth progression it kind of keeps you in that flow state and uh the idea of one of my friends jumping in when i'd already gotten to like coal power and just jumping into my factory that's a jumbled confusing mess and trying to catch up not knowing what any of these machines do was just it wasn't going to work out so we had to start over and so I'm yeah. still playing both of those saves because it's just interesting. Like, our, our two factories, even though it's not a procedurally generated world, it is handmade. Um, my two worlds look nothing alike at this point. Like, the factories are just totally differently structured. So what's the objective? I'm just trying to visualize. Uh, like- really early in the game, you build something called a space elevator. Basically, you get uh, demands from the space elevator to ship stuff up it and your goal is to meet those demands Uh, okay so you know progressively more complicated more expensive things you have to build forcing you to expand your factory uh it's really good um people keep comparing it to factorio and uh i look at factorio and i don't really want it like (laughs) (laughs) the thing about satisfactory and factorio factorio is a game about building logistically like you'll run out of resources so you gotta expand satisfactory is a game about making as much of a part as you can because nothing runs out yeah no satisfactory and and factorio doesn't look chill and satisfactory is absolutely like when you're standing in your um in your base in satisfactory you are in zero danger hard stop like you know, when you go out and explore their enemies and stuff, and there's, like, some first-person platforming you have to do and all that, but that is totally separate from your factory building for the most part. You really are just totally safe when you're building, and, like, there are no time limits or anything, so you can take as long as you want. You can just hang out and watch the conveyor belts for a bit if you want. You know, it's just an extremely chill experience, and I love that about it. It's just kind of zen to kick back and, like, plan out these massive factories, knowing, you know, the, the only real risk you have is running out of power, which happens a lot. 
You know, a zen, chill experience is kind of exactly what I need right now, so I'll probably be taking a look at this, to be perfectly yeah, if you, honest. If you like, like, if you've ever played Tekkit or something in Minecraft, this is just that, but, like, as a full game. Like, it's a lot like the factory building stuff in Minecraft, the automation and stuff. Yeah. Except, you know, kind of a lot of user interface improvements and stuff, and pretty good visuals, too. It's a very pretty game. But it's, it's like, something, like, I could never play Tekkit by myself. It never really drew me in. But I have no problem sitting down and playing Satisfactory. Like, just not talking to anyone, zoning out. And there's no story or anything. But I'm just zoning out and working on my factory in s- silence for, like, four hours at a time. <laughs> like, yeah. It just takes it takes me to another place. And I like it there. I, I, I'm curious about said place as well. Uh, that's really it. That's all there is to say. If you like, you know, there there are a lot of free things you could try to find. You know, if you have Minecraft, you should try Tech It. And if you're into that, you're going to be into Satisfactory. You know, is it on sale or something? Uh, it was like a couple go. dollars off on Steam. It's normally thirty bucks, and I think I got it for like okay, twenty five. Thirty is not that bad. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely and it's early access as well. It only has seven tiers right now. And uh, oh, really? That kind of makes me want to wait. And uh, play when it's fully... Yeah, I get the impression there's going to be a lot more content when the game (laughs) actually comes out. I didn't realize it was made by the same guys as Goat Simulator. No way, really. Yeah, it's coffee Very different kind of games. Yeah. But but I kind of see it. I see the humor now, now that I'm looking for it. But it's very subtle. But, like, I don't know. I, for my $30 that I paid, I will absolutely be okay if there's never another update to this game. That's that's how complete an experience it feels like right now. Like there are a couple of items you can find that say work in progress and stuff, and just don't do anything. But uh, if not for that, I would not be able to tell that it's early access. Yeah, the game runs astoundingly well for an early access game. Yeah, and it has um very flexible settings. Like my friend has a very old. I mean, it's a gaming laptop. That was what it was bought for, but it was bought in like 2014 or something, 2013. And uh, he was able to just crank the settings down and have me host, and we've been able to play and have a good time. Nice. He says the game looks like buns, but, <laughs> you know, the fact that it can and still be playable is pretty awesome. Because while I like how the game looks and it's all very impressive and stuff, that's not what it's about. It's about planning a factory. So I like it. I hope I hope Factorio and Satisfactory kind of kick off a whole genre. I hope there are a lot more games like this. Yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds unique from your description, so... I I will say the only beef I've had with it is that there are absolutely a few times while you're playing the game that you take a step back and realize something is going, like... Like, you're in that flow state, you're in that flow state, and then suddenly there's, like, one new thing that you have to make, and, like, your entire previous factory is worthless to you all of a sudden, or, like... Maybe a resource is really far away, and you have to totally reconsider how you move resources around. And, like, that can be so overwhelming that I, I've had to turn the game... Like, I've had a couple of times where I just turn the game off and walk away from it for a bit because I'm so overwhelmed with how uh, how complex something is going to be. But then... And it actually... Uh, Amid, this this might appeal to you because I, I know you're also a software engineer. But... Um, I definitely feel like a lot of the time I'm solving the same problems in Satisfactory that I have to solve in a, a software engineering problem because it really is a lot oh, of really? like 
Yeah, it's a lot of like, man, I have this, but it's all the way over here, and somehow I need to have access to it over here. And I feel like that's a common issue I'm solving in uh in my day to day work. But this is it presented factory, in a more entertaining a way. What? Build a factory, send a truck. <laughs> that's yep, what I that's, do. Yeah, I hate the trucks though. I I absolutely. I, I know that there's a monorail system I'm close to unlocking, and I will absolutely phase out trucks. Oh, that monorail will eat your power. I don't care. I'll build as many coal plants as, or as many fuel plants, whatever, as it takes. Because I hate, I hate. I have a my current oil refinery is like 3.8 kilometers away or something, and my tractor can't. It can't drive all the way there and all the way back. Uh, it runs out of fuel like every time <laughs> on the way back because it has to go up a really steep hill on the way back. So it ends up running out of fuel and I have to go get it. <laughs> it's really annoying. Yeah, I mean, this all sounds interesting. And I, I think one of the intriguing things to me is that I still can't really visualize what this game is. I think it's just one of those things where I have to see it to understand. Yeah, it. you you, ha- you have to watch a trailer because it was the same thing. Like when Mike was describing it, I, all I had seen was Factorio, and so that was all I could really see until he told me it was 3D, and I started imagining Tech it kinda, or Feed the Beast or whatever, whatever factory mod pack you prefer in Minecraft. But uh, it's definitely the trailers are really well put together and fun to watch, and they. They don't really capture the gameplay so much, but also the gameplay isn't always the super fun part to me, because really the most fun part of Satisfactory is right after I finish whatever product line I'm just building, and I step back and watch the conveyor belts and the machines move for a minute. That that like satisfaction that I feel is, the, is the obviously... Fruit, the, yeah, fruit the fruit of your labor. The fruit of my labor feels so good. It's de- it's definitely a big brain game a lot of the time too. You have to really it uh you gotta think outside the box sometimes to do stuff. Okay, to get your wow. Help. Yeah, I'm watching a trailer and this is not what I was expecting at all. Yeah. And <laughs> if you dive in, be ready to rip down your factory at a moment's notice because that's part of the game's progression. See, I've actually taken a. I have not torn down my factory a single time. I just I have keep torn- walking away and building new ones. Yeah, no, I tear down my main factory and then rebuild it to be more efficient. Like, say I get something that's faster. I'm like, well, got to rebuild the whole factory again, rip it all down, put it back together. See, yeah, like <laughs> when, I, so when I unlock the miner mark, joy. the better miners that give me more, I just cut the I cut the line in half and send the uh, send the because uh, the new miner doubles how much you get, and I just send the uh, surplus to a different factory because I like. I, I don't have it in me to tear down my original factory because even though it looks terrible and is an absolute mess, it's fairly efficient because, like, you know, I had some factory game experience going into this with TechIt and all. Like, I understood the efficiency going in. I just didn't understand how complex it was going to be and how important it was going to be to, like, put down foundations so that I could make the right angles and stuff and have clean conveyor belts. The fact that the most recent updated added sinks to throw excess resources to made my efficiency go through the roof because I would still uh, be producing excess resources even if Yeah. I wish I could I set my um my storage right. to like not like I don't want my storage containers to spit out extra resources until they're full. I wish I could set that up. Because I you know I've been doing the resource sync too, but just it's just every once in a while I have a container that I fill up with excess stuff to turn into coupons because I don't uh 
you know, I want to have like a huge surplus of iron rods at any given moment. But if I if my surplus exceeds a certain amount, then that I would like to get uh put into the awesome sink or whatever. And I think that's something I unlock later in the game. I haven't gone I too far down the, the computer route. Don't think you can. I'm pretty far down that route, but yeah. I don't think it's possible. Dang. You'd have to set a separate route, fill it up to your desired capacity, then cut it off. Mm. Which is what I have. I have a whole set of storage that I just kind of have. Yeah. And I think I'm about to set up a mass storage bus where everything in my factory gets bussed to that storage unit and then gets sent out from there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so many. And that's what I love is that, like, there's just so many options. It's so open ended. Because, like, I, I avoided the whole main bus design for a long time because I didn't really like it that much. But now I kind of came up with my own implementation of it that I'm really into, and I'm having a really good time with it. It's super vertical and uh, definitely a fan. Yeah, having a main warehouse is something that I'm going to need. The only thing that kills me is that um, I feel like there's a big need to build a giant floating platform, and I, I don't like that. I wish there was uh, a better way. You don't have to build a platform. I mean— I haven't. Really? I, I, you see, I'm up in like tier five and six right now, and I immediately, like, I, I, it's not floating, like, I have support beams for it and stuff, but it still doesn't look as good as I would like. Yeah, I built all mine on ground level, and if I needed to build up, I'd build it up organically. I found it a lot easier to build a flat in the desert starting area. I actually don't really agree with the difficulty that they have listed for stuff. Like, they say the desert area is supposed to be harder than the forest area, and I don't really see that. Ironically, water seems more immediately available in the desert than in the forest. The forest is, for the northern forest is probably one of the harder areas because there's not a lot of room there. Yeah, that's where I the am. The grassland, sure. however, very easy because there's biomass. There's water in two directions. God, I'm so glad I don't there's need biomass anymore. There's coal everywhere. I hated bio. I hated feeding my biomass generators. Unlocking oh. coal was the best moment in the game. I still have biomass generators in case I need to disconnect my water pumps if they die. Because there was a bug in the experimental where if you reloaded your save, your water pumps would have to be rebuilt because they just stopped working. Oh, that's so annoying. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, again, it was experimental. And that was yeah. before the update actually launched. So I, I have actually to get think on. it's really cool that you have to fuel up your... Um, like, you have to have power to get your coal power plant started because you have to pump water and get coal to it. I think that's a oh, really good thing. That, the water pumps and the coal power plants completely ruined my power setup. <laughs> I had yeah. to redo it over the course of, like, four hours and troubleshoot. And my coal still isn't working right. Like, I'm transitioning to pure fuel power because coal yeah, is not work. Well, I'm going to leave my coal there, but... Uh, yeah, I'm going to transition to fuel-based power the moment I like, unlock, because I heard it's way more efficient. My generators were bad enough that if I went over a certain power threshold, they just shut off. They would use too much water and just shut off. Oh, yeah. Completely. I'd lose well complete yeah. power. You can only put three generators on one water pump, and yeah. each generator consumes 15 coal per minute at capacity. So Coal, coal production wasn't the problem. I had plenty of coal. I just need to see. I'm I'm low on coal because you can always get like I I built my um my coal power plant is on a lake so there's basically infinite water there but uh, there was only two coal nodes and I needed one of them to produce steel so yeah I have a single pure coal node feeding all my coal power plants 
Ah, uh, you can. Well, I guess with a Mark II, you can get like 240 coal per minute. Yeah, out of that. that's so a lot of coal. This conversation is so funny to me. I don't think I have <laughs> any pure coal nodes on my main world, so I only have access to like. Oh no, uh-huh. pure coal nodes are actually predetermined in the world. Like, yeah, you I know. can actually look at a map. Yeah, I know. All all the nodes are, aren't they? Yeah, every node is already is hand yeah, whole, yeah, but I just haven't found them. Like the ones that I'm using are not pure. So one day when I uh, play this game, I'll go back to this conversation and and fully understand what you guys are talking about. But I actually yeah. had to use a map to figure out where a certain ore was because I couldn't find it and I needed it. So I'm like, where's this it, ore at? Was it Caterium? Yeah, Caterium. Okay, I found Caterium really close to my base. I had no problem. Mine was mine was close. I just didn't go because it was like on top of a waterfall. I never yeah, would have yeah. went there. Mine is too. I did you not have the Caterium resource scanner? No, you that I actually got Caterium a little early. Ah, I'm, like, okay. I'm gonna need this in the future. I'm gonna look at this map because I'm probably gonna find this naturally somewhere. Yeah, I found enough Caterium, like the tiny little nodes that you just mine by hand. I found enough of those to get the Caterium resource scanner pretty quick. My oil so. was like a mile away from me though, so I had to build a yeah. trans Siberian yeah. oil pipeline. Uh, you built a pipeline. I am currently, um, my method is just having a truck go pick up. I, I produce all the oil stuff there and then uh, have a truck go pick it up and bring it back. Because all my oil was relatively flat. I didn't need any pumps along the route. Oh, uh, yeah, mine is not flat at all. Because it's all but just down a But I found a ton waterfall. of oil. Oh, no, there's a ton of oil where I need to go. It's just guarded by, like, elite monsters. I'm like, mmm. But once you get the Xeno Basher, the, the monsters really, like, the combat became a non-issue to me once I yeah, got the Xeno Yeah, the small Basher. ones, still easy. The spitters, however, they'll, they'll ruin your day. See, even the prime spitters don't bother me that much. Oh, I hate the prime spitters. Unless I anyway, choose them. Uh, if, the, if this conversation hasn't sold you on Satisfactory, it's probably not for you. But uh, if, if any of this appealed to you, it's a very good game. Okay, uh, Mike, what have you been playing? I want to talk more about Elite Dangerous because I feel like I didn't give it justice last time I talked about it. <laughs> because I put more time into exploring. Oh boy. Oh boy. You never experience a game where you're just listening to like ambient music and all of a sudden you just jump in front of a black hole and you're like, whoa. <laughs> like I've never felt more alone than I have in Elite Dangerous when I'm so far outside the civilized bubble that – all it is is me and the stars, and I love it. Exploring in that game is so fun. Yeah, you're selling me on this one too. Yeah. I've, Elite Dangerous has been sitting like in my wish list for a long time because I heard it had a really good VR implementation. I have not played VR, but I can imagine because the cockpits are beautifully detailed. Like I finally bought one of the top of the line exploring ships, and it's a full, almost 180 cockpit. So you have full vert vertical above you so if you look up all the way you'll see glass canopy and then to both sides all glass as well wow so you just have a full 180 and then a 90 vertical view of the entire outside so what what have you been doing to make money in elite dangerous what kind of what what shenanigans have you been into exploring i've literally just plotted a system to go see like i went to see biltegese which was amazing running out to random planets and then there's a tool that allows you to plot the most valuable route to that planet and that'll get you the most money through exploration yeah. and just exploring hmm. or i'll just kind of drift on my own and occasionally find like a 
habitable world or something. Yeah, I think the most <laughs> I think the most appealing uh, thing you said about this game was that uh, really captured the feeling of like the solitude of space. And I feel like a lot of space games don't do that too well, even though you know they might be really good for other reasons. But like play the I outer think, wilds. Yeah, I know. I need to. That's that's one of the the games I need to play for sure. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I th- I think that's a very appealing aspect of it. From what the I've game had. And the game has something for everybody. Say you want to be a miner or a trader, you're going to stick close to the bubble, which is – the bubble's the term for about 500 to about 1,000 light years. I think it's about 500 light years around our solar system that's habitated and actively used by the factions to compete against each other. And if you're in there, it's a lot more of combat, trading. Is Elite Dangerous multiplayer? Yes, you could either okay. play it solo with no other people or play in open, which I wouldn't recommend open unless you're willing to get blown up by a random player. <laughs> Always. Yeah, I think <clears throat> if I pick up this game, I'll definitely be like more exploration-focused. That sort of thing really appeals to me. No, but once you're out of the bubble, PvP doesn't exist because most of the people never leave the bubble. A good chunk – like the gal- it's the entire Milky Way and only like .36 or .036 or some absurdly no number – has actually been explored. Wow. Like, I actually have my name on one planet in one system for being the first person to scan it. Sounds kind of No Man's Sky-esque. Yeah. there It's very competitive. Well, well, yeah, it's like if No Man's Sky had a gameplay loop. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> I still have to go back to civilized space to sell my exploration data, but... Man. Does that being take out forever? nowhere. I think, like, a 500-light-year journey takes me about an hour to an hour and a half to get there. And And are you just sitting in your cockpit that whole time? Yeah, you're just jumping and exploring. And it's still a gameplay loop that feels fun because you're like, ooh, that's a a habitable planet. Let me go look at it. Elite Dangerous is on sale. The summer sale started today, by the way. I don't know if you guys saw that. Oh, neat. I saw it. Okay. Also, Satisfactory also may be on getting... sale, Amit. I didn't check. Yeah, I, ch- I just checked. It was 26 bucks. Okay, that's what yeah, I Yeah, you guys have made some real good cases for both of those games, unfortunately for my wallet. Yeah, I'd I'm also recommend um, buying the Horizons expansion because it adds planetary, planetary landing and engineers, which are absolutely broken. They changed the game. R.I.P. Mine and Amit's wallets. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you, uh, Connor and Mike, for joining me. You can follow us at Ad Podcast Game Talk on Twitter. Please like, rate, and review us on any podcast service you may own. And you can join our Discord and chat with us there uh, through the link in the description. Uh, thanks, guys, and we'll see you next time. Bye.